there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before. And it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. Having an even slightly objective view shows us that we live in a violent world, from the bottom to the top, from the top to the bottom. For example, I was watching a program a couple of years ago, travel program, and an owl on some Greek island swooped down and picked up a kitten and carried it off. It made a huge impression on me because it was a cute little kitten. And I didn't think owls were nasty. Now that'll tell you how unobjective that is, how subjective that is. I abhor the violence. I don't like the violence. There's something in me that doesn't like the violence. Have you ever felt that way? The last time we talked about allowing a ray of light to bring into our consciousness the unknown, the unaccepted sides of ourselves. When this happens, this begins to soften everything in us taking away much violence. The problem is, when you live in a violent world, you must see that it is because you are violent. Now, of course, this isn't what people must see. We work overtime not seeing this at all. We work overtime seeing the violence outside of ourselves in other people. But we don't see that we are violent. We must each overcome the violent man inside ourselves. People will have trouble if they can't see inside themselves. If they can't see inside themselves, they aren't going to ever be able to locate the violent man inside themselves. If they can't locate the violent man inside themselves, they will not be able to acknowledge the violent man inside themselves. If they are unable to acknowledge the violent man inside themselves, then they will be unable to accept it. If they are unable to accept it, it must be placed elsewhere. Where will it be placed? It will be placed in other people. We will have violent people in our life. So, yes, we'll hide it in the dark side of ourselves, but we will place it in other people because it can't be stopped from acting as long as it's in the dark side. Putting it on the dark side of ourselves doesn't stop it from acting. It's not like storing it in a lead-lined cage where it can't get out and it can't have any effect on anything. It's not like that at all. It's just out of sight, out of mind, but it's not out of action. That's one of the things we need to remember about the dark side. It goes into the bundle of personal reactions that we have. All violence is due to a lack of consciousness. All violence is due to a lack of consciousness. What does that mean? It means if you could become more conscious, you would be less violent. It means that the less conscious you are, the more violent you are. You can verify this. The more conscious you become, the less violent you are. No one could be violent to another person if they could see that person as they see themselves. If you'll think about the huge mass insanity that occurs periodically on this planet of violence where people try to wipe out an entire race of people. They call it 
They actually, it's so common, they actually have a name for it. You know the name? Genocide. They try and wipe out an entire race. It may be based on only solely the color of their skin. It may be based on where they were born. It may be based on some other arbitrary, insane, unconscious, mechanical thing that's selected. And then this insanity ensues. So I say, all violence is due to a lack of consciousness. But if you could see another as you see yourself, you'd never be violent towards him. If you were not selecting that difference and saying, we've got to get rid of that, that genocide would stop. Now, the first place genocide needs to stop, obviously, is within us. It's not going to stop in the world. We're only violent when we think that we're not like the other person, not such a brute, not such a liar. So essentially, one-sidedness makes violence. What's a practical thing we can actually do about this? What can you actually do about this? You can try to become conscious while you're feeling violent toward another person. How? By not reacting mechanically. And when you don't react mechanically, you become a little, little conscious, just a little conscious of your violence toward another person. I hate that guy. Well, I hate people who do that. You become a little conscious of that. And instead of hating people that do that, instead of being annoyed, instead of contracting, instead of tightening up, instead you say, I'm just going to be aware of this. I'm just going to look at this. Not do anything. I'm just going to look at this. Notice this. Just as if I were, I were observing a television program or a, or a movie on a screen. Just as if I were observing a dream. I'm just going to stand outside of it and look at it. Okay? That's what you do. By not reacting mechanically, you have changed a little. That's how this work works. By not reacting mechanically, just this one time, in this one little area, you have changed just a little bit. And this work is about self-change. Yes? I know I hammer this a lot, but it's, it's good. Self-change is what this work is about. So when you don't react mechanically, you have changed a little. Big change comes when you see something in another that excites violence in you. And then you see that that thing is in you and you accept it. That's big change, but that's a lot to do. That's not just a little effort. There's a lot of effort involved in that. First of all, you find that you're becoming violent in some way, emotionally, mentally, physically, whatever. You're becoming violent. You notice it. You catch it in the act. You catch yourself red-handed being violent in one of the centers or in many centers. So you find yourself that way, but instead of going with it, instead of going with the little mechanical eyes that go down to the violence into the darkness, instead of doing that, you stop and you say, what is it that is exciting this reaction in me? And you see it's that person who is doing something, who is hurting something of yours or taking something of yours, doing something, whatever it is that excites violence in you. And it's, I don't know, but you know what it is. This is for you to figure out. This is for you to say, what is it that excites violence in me? And then pick that thing. And then notice that that thing that excites the violence in you is one of the things that's not accepted in you. It's something about you that you have not accepted, that you are not aware of or that you have seen, but you've covered it up because you didn't like it, because you had some judgment about it. 
If you can keep that conscious, you'll never be violent toward another person. If you can keep that thing in you that's unaccepted, conscious, in other words, if you can keep aware of it, if you can remain conscious of that, you cannot be violent toward another person concerning that. Because you will see that what excites the violence isn't out there, but it's really in you. When it's in you and you've accepted it, brought it out of the dark side, and really you're not bringing it out of the dark side, what you're doing is expanding your light side and shrinking your dark side. So you just it's just on the edge of the dark side, or perhaps it's right in the middle of the dark side. It doesn't really matter. You make it light by letting light in, the light of uncritical self-observation. Are you with me? Good. So if you can do this, if you can keep that consciousness, you'll never be violent toward the other person. That is sympathy. Now, sympathy, what is your reaction to that word? Okay, so we have one person going gag, I hate that word. Pleasant. Not good? Pleasant. You think it's concept. you think sympathy is a pleasant concept, okay? You think it stinks, you don't like it, okay? And I think I think Matt thinks it's a pleasant concept because he's had his concept changed recently. I think we talked about this the other day. We talked about sympathy the other day, and I and I mentioned that ordinary sympathy, what we see in the world as sympathy, is not what real sympathy is. So the people who are having a negative reaction to sympathy, I, I think you'll find that you're looking at ordinary sympathy, what the world means by sympathy. Matthew, I think, is looking at what real sympathy means. Ordinarily, sentimental sympathy is useless because it always contains, and this is where you're having a negative reaction, it always contains some conceit and patronage. The person who is sympathizing always feels better than. It's like, for example, uh, a nurse comes in to your hospital bed and you're there lying there, broken, in pain, and the nurse comes in and says, Oh, how are we feeling today? And you think, well, I don't know how we're feeling, but I want to kill you. Because that person is not really being sympathetic. Or are we doing better today? You know, that person is not, that person is up here and you're down there. Real sympathy, genuine sympathy, is, means feeling with another person, feeling with them, not feeling for them. Oh, I really feel for you. And I feel for you. If I were in your condition, I would feel awful too. That's just horrible. Poor you. You see how that feels? But if I feel with you, it's a different thing. And let me explain to you the difference, if I may and if I can. To help someone in the work, you must feel at a lower level than they are. And the only way to do this is through your own self-knowledge. If I'm going to lift you up, I'm not going to be able to do it from standing up here. <laughs> okay, I'm going to try and lift you up. All right, so I've got her arm, I've got her shoulder out of, out of socket now, you know, or out of joint by pulling on her so hard, you know, dislocated her shoulder. Well, I could grab her by the hair and yank her up, but she probably isn't going to like that either. There are very few ways that I can help her to get up. Not only that, but I'm really straining my back. Now, if I get down here underneath her, 
lower than her, and I scoop her up like this, I've got a much better chance. I'm not going to pick you up, though. Okay. <laughs> I've got a much better chance, you see, of helping her up, haven't I? Because I'm now lower than she is. And I can only do this through self-knowledge. I can't do that if I don't know what I am. If I haven't been able to see what I am, I'm going to think I'm above you. Because that's what imaginary eye thinks. Imaginary eye thinks it's above everybody else. Maybe there are a few that imaginary eye isn't above. Maybe. But mostly, those are just things that they can do better in that thing. But if imaginary eye really wanted to, it could do that better too. It's our condition, people. What if you can't see it in yourself? Because it's not there. This thing that excites violence in you. What if you can't see it in yourself because it's not there? Well, the work says it is there. <laughs> now you've got to decide. So here the work comes right up against pride and vanity. You say it's not there. The work says it is there. Who's going to win this battle when you decide? You decide now. Are you, is your pride and vanity going to say, well, no, I, I know what's here and what's not here? Or is the work going to say, no, you don't know. Which will you go with? And that will determine whether or not you work. We pride ourselves on a picture of being or doing something well. What is it you do well, Jennifer? Uh, accounting. Accounting. Jennifer prides herself on her ability to do accounting. You're good with numbers. Jess, what do you pride yourself in? What picture do you have of yourself? Hardworking. You're a hardworking people person. Coordinating things. Coordinating things, organizing things. Okay, hardworking people person who coordinates and organizes. Good. These are pictures of things that we do well. When we have pictures of ourselves and things that we're doing well, I can guarantee you that that's going to be something that another may not satisfy in us. And when they don't satisfy that in us, we can be counted on to become violent. Steve prides himself on his ability to handle money, finances. Do you ever become violent with other people when they don't handle money well? That's just, well, just for the podcast listeners, that's a nod yes. We don't even want to talk about that. We'll just <laughs> nod yes. Yeah, it's a nod yes. Okay, so yes. It's because we think we're better. We think we're above them. We can't sympathize with them. We can't help them because we're already above them. We're already better than them. They should be working harder. We've got, so we've got this picture of ourselves that other people can't satisfy and we get violence. Violence comes from unacknowledged sides of us that we close off. This prideful thing, this prideful picture that we have. I'm really good with finances. I'm really good with accounting. I'm really a good people person, and I'm really good at communicating and, and organizing. Great. Those are the things that we know we do well. So when we see someone else not doing them well, we already know we do them well. Now, how hard is it going to be to acknowledge that you don't do it well in yourself? Oh, it's impossible because you already know you do it well. You've got that picture. The picture's proof. And you've got a lot of other pictures, too, to prove the same thing. You got evidence. You were to take that one to court, you'd win. 
every time, hands down. Okay. So if you're careful, let's say you're careful and you're proud of it. You could get violent with another person who is not careful in the way that you imagine that you're careful. Not seeing that there may be gaps in your so-called carefulness. Some people are careful, safe, good drivers. They get very annoyed with people who are not careful, not safe, and not good drivers. People who drive too fast, people who drive erratically, people who don't use their turn signals, people who do, people who break at the last minute, people who tailgate, people who whatever. This is a hot spot for people who drive, so we'll talk about this for a little bit. If you're careful about your driving, you see people who are not careful. What are the chances of you finding gaps in your carefulness? Well, I'll tell you the chance. You get in an accident and you have an opportunity to see a gap. What do you do instead? It's the other guy's fault. That's what you do. You ensure that you never get to see what you actually are. That's what pictures are for. That's what buffers are for. We place these gaps in other people, and then we blame them. Be sure, when that happens, that you're working from a picture and not self-knowledge. This is what the work says. So what's the practical application of this? The practical application of this is when you find yourself finding something wrong with another person, be sure that you are acting from a picture and not self-knowledge. Be sure of it. Be absolutely certain. Why? That's not true. It's what the work says. Now you have to decide. Look, if you're not in prison and you can just walk out anytime you want into full consciousness and complete will, real eye, oneness, if you can do that anytime, then you don't need the help of the work. So then don't decide for it. Decide for yourself. But if you can't, then you do need help. And if you do need help, Grab the rope before you go down for the third time. Just because we can justify our picture doesn't mean it's the truth. You may be careful, but imagination prevents you seeing when you're not careful. The picture backed by imagination is based on fact. This is the problem. The picture of yourself doing this thing well and backed by imagination is based on fact. The fact is Jennifer is a good accountant. The fact also is that Jennifer is not a good accountant. Both things are true. But in our state of consciousness, in our state where we live, in our ordinary state, opposites are opposite. They're not one thing. We haven't been able to raise ourselves up so that we can see opposites as one thing yet. But there are people have who have and they can tell you that it is that way. You have had moments when you could see opposites together. And so you know it's that way. You've been able to verify it. But we can't live there yet. That's what we're working for. We're working to be able to live there, to own that state of consciousness 24-7. When we think that we're good at something, we become sensitive and liable to violence. Why? Well, because we're being something. Remember last week I talked about being, I said, well, we've got to realize our nothingness. But nobody ever asked me, well, what is something? And last week I explained what something is. And now this again is a tie-in with that. When we think we're good at something, we become sensitive and liable to violence. We're being something. 
If we could see our contradictions, our failures, our mistakes regarding what we're good at, we'd shift from sensitive and violent to tolerant and understanding. The shift is natural. You don't have to work at it. It just occurs when you let the light in. It cleans the machine. That's what this work is. We can't see we're not good at something due to the dark side where it resides. We put it in the dark side. We won't accept it. We won't acknowledge it. So that's where it stays. So then we can't see that we're not good at something. But remember, we can be both good and bad at something. When we realize that we're not what we thought we were, we stop our old identifying and we become simpler inside. We're incredibly complex right now. Incredibly complex. It's like a house of cards. It's like dominoes that have been lined up. You touch one and they start to react and fall in all kinds of directions. Very complex. But when we realize that we're not what we thought we were, that we're not what we actually perceived ourselves to be, what we've imagined ourselves to be, and we stop identifying with all of that, at that time, we become simpler inside. Letting in light to the dark side doesn't weaken us, but it strengthens us. What we don't acknowledge at first appears bad. That's why it's in the dark side. It's the devil. That's why we put it in hell. It's bad. It's evil. That's why we put it there. That's why we get so violent with the other people that we place it in. Because it's totally unacceptable to us. Because it's bad. It's evil. It's wrong. And it's only evil to us given our present estimation of ourselves. And that estimation of ourselves is kept up by imagination, buffers, pictures, and lying. We've got this estimation of ourselves. It's imaginary I. It's supported by buffers. It's supported by lying. It's supported by pictures. Imaginary eye is our worst evil. And everything that threatens it seems evil. But imaginary eye is our worst evil. The worst thing about us isn't real. It's imagined. It is that we are what we imagine that we are. That's the worst possible thing about us. Because it will keep us from finding out what we actually are. Finding out what we, being, it will keep us from being what we actually are. People identify themselves with God without any justification whatsoever. You have whole countries who are totally, completely identified with God without any justification whatsoever, killing other people because they have this identification with God. God we're God's people. Therefore, and God wants us to get rid of all the people who are not his people. No justification for that whatsoever. Yet the mass insanity goes on on our planet. So let's get to this practical work thing. Incidentally, all that, that business about being identified with God and imagining that we're God's people and imagining that God speaks to us and God has chosen us and we're the most important and everybody else is just kind of riffraff here for us to walk over. That's all purely imaginary. That all belongs to imaginary eye. Now let's get to the practical work. I've got an exercise that I call the sun and moon exercise. The sun is the great globe in the sky that warms the earth and gives it light. The moon is the smaller globe in the sky 
that reflects the light of the sun bouncing off the moon and then comes to us at night. So at night, the reflected light, because the sun's light is not present, the reflected light then becomes visible. So the sun and moon exercise is to take some person that you have issues with. Shine the light of the sun on that person. What are those issues? What's wrong with that person? What happens is, because that person is not the sun, that person is outside of you, that person is like the moon. So the light bounces off the moon. You see it. So it's a reflected light. It's reflecting to you what you have hidden on your dark side. The purpose of the exercise is to find what you have hidden on your dark side that is reflected to you by this person who you have issues with. Okay, that exercise you can do on your own time and do it as often as you'd like. Once a day is just great. If you'd like to do it more, then do it more. Self-observation is clean, dry light and it won't allow falsehood or self-justification. You've got to deal with the negative apart from the external exciter. So if you're negative, it's your fault. This is a work principle. You've got to get this in your head. If you are negative, it's your fault. It's no one else's fault. Anything that seems to excite a negative state in you that's external from you, anything, I don't care what it is, if it, seems to, if it excites a negative state in you, you've got to deal with the negative state apart from the external exciter. Everyone is work for someone else. I have to work, and I can work if I will work. I have to work. Because everyone is work for someone else, you have to work. And you can work if you will work. If you won't work, you can't work. But that doesn't mean you don't have to work. That just means that you'll do something else instead. And what will that be? Well, if you don't work, you'll imagine. The group, any group, is a microcosm of life. And this is the fourth way, the way in life. You must realize this deeply, that this group that you're in, whatever group you're in, if you find yourself in a work group, if you find yourself in a family group, if you find yourself in a group at work where you're on the job, and a group of people. Whatever that is, it's a microcosm of all of life. It's not specialized, it's a microcosm. You know, you think you could work better if you had better people in the group. No, there are no better people. This is a microcosm of the whole world, of life. This is like a drop of dew on a rose petal, reflecting everything that is around it in that drop of dew. So this is it, people. This is it. This is it. This is it. This is what you'll find in life. What you found here, you will find in life. Because life is bigger, you try to negotiate your way away from the people you don't like. In a smaller group, it's more difficult. But look at you. You've been able to do it. Congratulations. But now it's time to work. Realize this deeply. It lightens the work through acceptance. You can accept that this group is your group. You can accept that these people in this group are your people. If you can accept that this is your life, if you can accept that, it will lighten your work. The key to this work is the practical application of the ideas taught. 
At SolidRockVista.com, I have written a number of articles about how to apply the work to everyday situations in our life. I hope you'll find it useful.